Love bombing. Yep. Manipulation. Check. Gaslighting. Uh-huh. Wow. I guess we really weren't the only ones. You got that right. Welcome to The X-Files, a new spinoff of X-Wives Undercover. Now we're sharing your stories of love gone wrong. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but more importantly, we stand together. This podcast includes discussion around sex addiction, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, and suicide. Please acknowledge that this content may be difficult. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back. I'm Amber. And I'm Athena. All right, girl. You ready to do this? Let's do it. Season 4, Episode 2, The Point of No Return. After his arrest for the next two years, he got nuts. He tried to be the man my mom always wanted him to be, but it was just too late. So then he became obsessive. He would sit in his truck in the parking lot across the street from my mom's huge office complex, and he would watch her with binoculars. He would even check her panties to see if there was any trace that my mom was being intimate with other men. Next came the fake suicide attempts. He left a suicide note written on Word and left it up on his computer. He pretended to be dead to see what my mom's reaction would be. He was in the closet with the door partially open. Another time, he drove off like a crazy person. He drove himself to a dead end with a big bottle of Jack Daniels and pills. My older sister called the police on him. He was held under a 5150. They kept him under evaluation for 72 hours and then they released him. I think she stayed, but again, I think it was still for the wrong reasons. He made her feel like, well, if you leave now, like I'm trying and look at all the work I'm doing. And I do remember that time, like he was putting into himself. And so then I think she kind of felt like she was an asshole for leaving. He went to the doctor and, you know, they told him he was bipolar and they told him they thought it was best that he go on a medicine. But being the Paul that he is, you know, no, God can save me. I don't need medicine. Prayer will, prayer will change me. Prayer will heal me. No, but you also have to, and I remember telling him this, like telling my mom this, God put these doctors in the world and medicine in the world and science in the world for reasons like this to help you. Yes, I believe in the power of prayer, but something like this with your mind, it doesn't just heal. Like you need to help that chemical imbalance that's there. Like you need to do something to help yourself. Mother's Day 2007 came around. I came over to my parents to bring my mom a gift and spend some time with her. She was lying in bed and said she was on bed rest. This seemed extremely odd to me. My mom never got sick or injured, so what could have happened? My dad spoke up for her real fast. She slipped and fell down the stairs carrying some boxes. Oh, okay. I rolled my eyes and knew that he was full of shit. He went downstairs a few minutes later to make her breakfast, and that's when I asked her what really happened. And that's when she told me he pushed her down the stairs and he injured her. He did hurt her. She did have a back injury, but it wasn't from anything she did. It was from the violence. And what was all this? Because he's jealous because he felt like he's losing her. He thinks she's lying to him that she has somebody else. Everything that he had done, now he's projecting onto her because he cannot figure out why she actually wants to leave him. This is when I finally looked at her and said, you have to leave him. Like, I love you. You're my mom, but you have to leave him. You make enough money, you can do it. 
So it still seems crazy to me that so quickly we got this plan together, like this notebook with the pros and cons. She went through financials real quick and was like, I can do it. So much had gone on at that time. And I finally told him that I, I can't do it anymore. And he acted like he accepted it. And I did, I was driving, I got in my car, I had my sunroof open, and I don't even remember the song, but it just was so fitting and I felt so free, felt so free. And I knew I was never gonna go back. And possibly I led him to just maybe think, just give me some time. But once you make that break and you let the people that mean the most to you in your life in on that little secret, you know you're not going back. You know, having four teenage daughters, that's enough <laughs> emotion in itself. Mm-hmm. Hell yes, and, you poor woman. <laughs> <laughs> and and then at that time, my, my granddaughter, who's 18 now, she she was born and she was the apple of his eye. He just, he just loved her and toted her everywhere. And, you know, so then you add another little one in on it. And it's like, I can't, I, I can't, I've already given them a bad example of a relationship with good intention, you know? I mean, like I say, we were very involved in church, so I was trying to work through things. I didn't want to, I felt, I didn't feel divorce was wrong, but I I just, I, I guess I felt like a failure. And I don't know, he was very much into image and, and what looked good on the outside while you're dying on the inside. They're just so broken. They're, they're so broken and they're breaking you in the meantime. And you're trying not to be broken because you have, you know, little ones. And, and but I, I just couldn't let him break me anymore. I had to deprogram myself of everything that he said I was that I wasn't. It was such a turning point and such a special moment where she finally realized like this light bulb went off. She broke everything down and just that quick, Sunday by Friday, she didn't come home from work. I was at my boyfriend's, everybody is texting me and calling me because my mom is very routine. So she wasn't home at a certain time, it was like, where's she at? She turned her phone on long enough. She sent out a group text to my sisters and I and said, I am safe. I, oh, I think my dad was on it too. I'm safe, I'm fine. I am not coming home. I'm leaving your dad. And I will not tell you guys where I'm at because I don't want anybody involved. I don't want any assumptions made, blah, 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 blah. And I guess she made a phone call to him and told him the same thing. I'm leaving. I'm not coming home. You have this weekend to pack your stuff and get out. And I'll be back Monday. She said she showed up, got her bag of clothes. She left that day with she said it was just a, the most beautiful day in California. Like blue skies, birds chirping. She said she opened her sunroof. There was a song that came on. She rolled the windows down. She had that song blaring. And she said she drove down the freeway back to where she was going, tears rolling down her face, going, I finally did it. I am finally free. She said it, she knew that was it. There was no going back. She was free and she was finally done with all of it. We know that feeling, Amber, don't we? Right, like you said, it clicks in your brain and there's nothing and nobody in hell that can make you stay because when you weigh the options of staying versus leaving, 
it, mm -hmm. it's a no-brainer. You're just like, my life sucks the way it is. And I'd rather give up having a baby for, in my case, mm -hmm. or this, that, and the other thing, my home, my my everything. It's better to be alone and, and free of this nightmare than it is to stay in it. I'm just so glad that totally she agree. that. And she had her girls behind her too. Right away, my mom and I started looking for a house that she could lease. The house that her and my dad were at was just way too big and expensive at that. And two of my sisters didn't even live there anymore, and the only reason I was gone so often is because I couldn't stand him. Well, we did find the perfect place for her, but the problem was that she couldn't move until July 1st, which was still about a month away. We would hear my dad drive by at all hours of the night. One night I was walking from her room to mine when I looked at the stairs and there he was, dressed all in black, and he began creeping back down the stairs. He snuck in and was just listening and watching what we were doing. This got heated and scary real fast. Try to play this guilt card of, I have nowhere to go, where am I gonna go? I guess I'll leave in my truck, I'm gonna be homeless, how could you do this to me? So she made a deal with him. She said, during the day when I'm at work, you could be here to use your office, but you need to be gone by the time I'm home. You're not to just come and go as you please. I thought I heard his truck. So I walked down the hall to go see if I see his truck out front. Lo and behold, I hear something and I look down the stairs and he's in all black, sitting on the stairs, listening and watching us. And I asked him what he's doing. And as I asked him that, he's trying to tippy-toe backwards down the stairs and freaks out on me, telling me I'm seeing things and how crazy I am and how this is my fault. I'm making up stuff. And my mom let him have it. You know, she basically told him, you're not to just come in and out of here. This isn't your home. If you come here, you need to knock. Or if you come through the garage, you need to say, hey, I'm here, identify yourself. Well, that really pissed him off. Like, this is my house, I shouldn't have to do that. I was scared for myself, I was scared for my mom, and I couldn't stay in the room with them because of what he, he shut me out. So I had myself locked in my bathroom and he was going back and forth between their room and my bathroom, hollering, acting just out of his mind. And it went on for an hour and a half before finally he left. And at the end of it, he's mad at me because he's telling me I made the situation what it is. How dare me make him out to be that kind of person. That was part of the reason she didn't want to stay in that other house either. She's like, he's still going to feel like this is his, that he can come in, in and out of here. I have to get out of here and I have to get my own place where he doesn't feel like there's an attachment to it, that he, it's still his. Once we moved, it was like a fresh start, but my dad really turned up the victim card here. He acted like my mom was leaving him homeless, like he had nowhere to go. And the crazy continued. Our house was located in a court, so he wouldn't be able to drive by as easy as before. And his truck was so easy to spot and easy to hear with the Flowmasters on it. Of course, he had to pop up like I was in the area. Yeah, bullshit, no you weren't. He would constantly call my mom crying and begging for her to take him back. He was losing it more and more. And that's this stalking, crazy crap continued. 
it was just eerie. Like one night we went to close the door, we turned around and he was just there and pushed the door open behind us. It's like, what are you doing here? Oh, I have some tools in the garage I need to get. I have a job. What? What tools and what job do you need this for? Like, it was just any excuse to come around. The desperation was unreal. The stalking was unreal. We didn't even want to sit in the backyard at night and barbecue or just hang out because we were afraid he was somewhere listening. We were afraid to talk about anything outside because what if he's listening somewhere? Honestly, it almost sounds like with the attachment issues that I'm hearing from you that I I wonder if he was borderline. I thought the same thing. I, mm-hmm. I, the attention, I constant I attention. I think I would need to look into it more because I haven't looked into any of it in so long, but I would be certain if I started looking into more with how he behaved and what he did, I'm sure he would have personality disorder. I mean, I think there would be multiple things that were missed with him or misdiagnosed or things he'd never even told us because he probably wasn't even honest with the doctor. Monday, he stopped at my mom's house. I'd actually told him, I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, I just want to talk to you. I just feel like you're on your mom's side. And I said, well, there's really not a side. I said, I think it's pretty cut and dry. And I kind of just let him have it for the first time. I was 20 by now. And I felt like for the first time in my life, I was actually honest, truly honest with him and real with him. And he asked me if my relationship with him changed from that day in 2005 when he got arrested. And I said, you've never been the same to me. I've never looked at you the same. He's like, yeah. I feel like you've had no respect for me. You've never loved me since then. Um, You don't care about me. It's only your mom. I said, well, I can't be on your side. To me, there's only one side and it's mom's side. And he told me how bad he was hurting and he just wished I understood that. And I've had a heartbreak before and imagine how he feels. So he's trying to play that victim card up. I think he really wanted somebody on his side because he didn't feel like anybody did. Early August approached, my mom, my younger sister, and I took an eight-hour trip north to visit my grandparents, and my older sister stayed at my mom's to watch it. But lo and behold, what does he do? He calls my mom, begging to stay there while she was gone, and he harassed her the entire time we were at my grandparents'. We got back from our trip only to find out that he tried to break in through the back patio door. And at this point, I just told my sisters that one of us always had to be with mom, always. She was never to be allowed to be alone, ever. He was dangerous and he couldn't be trusted. He wasn't even in his right mind. I'm out of town, I'm about 45 minutes from home. Something just kind of felt off that night. We were supposed to be out. I was with some girls I went to cosmetology school with and we ended up really not even being out long. We ended up going back to her house and like drank a little bit of wine and went to bed early and I am dead asleep and I get a phone call at five o'clock in the morning and my mom sounds a little shaky on the other end of the phone. Are you awake? I said, I am now. He came to my house and he, um, he asked to talk to me and that's when I had moved to another house without him, but there was a storage unit in the back. So I let him keep his stuff there stupid idea. I was just trying to be nice and soften the blow. And he asked to come talk to me and he just wanted pictures. And I said, I'm not going to talk to you. You can talk to me right, right here. And then he turned around and he had a gun in the back. He says, come in the house and talk to me or I'm going to blow your fucking head off uh, or brains out or something. And I like, okay. 
So of course I'm scared, I'm shaking. I go in and talk to him and I said, I wanna leave the door open. Anyway, I talked him off the bridge that night. I was really fearful and he was said, you know, he was gonna do it. And I'm like, you know, you because I lost my family, so you didn't lose your family. You still got your kids. We're just not gonna be married at this point. And he could, just couldn't get over that, even though he had a ton of support with men's groups and guys in the church that tried to help him. It's like, he it's not like he didn't have anybody. So I thought, you know, he went off on his way. And then the next night I got home about 1.30, I picked my daughter up and we came home and he was following me and came to my house. And I was talking through my window and, you know, then he got aggressive coming through my window because he was just so frustrated because he couldn't get through to me. Unfortunately, my daughter was there and I just had called the cops. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm done with this. I live in fear constantly looking over my shoulder. And uh, that's when he left. And that's the night that it happened. And he called me. I was on the phone with him. And he kept saying, just go back to where it all started. So that was either where we got married or where I met him at my dad's house. So she's on the phone with dispatch. I'm on the phone with him. And um, they find him at the site where we got married. It was an old historical house. And I heard that they had him surrounded. They told him to stand down. He says, no, you stand down. And then his phone went, went silent. And my daughter's still on the phone. My youngest daughter, Carrie, was on the phone with the uh, dispatch. And uh, then they told us to come in, you know, that they got him, that it would be best if we came in. I said, well, I'm safe. If you got him, I'm safe. I can go home, go 5150 him. But then we sat in the police station for like two hours and then he came out and told us and it was just unreal to me. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. And my daughter just put her hands on her head and just cried. I feel bad saying this, but it, it was actually kind of a sense of relief because I was so scared of him. I was so scared. My brother kept telling me, go get, go file for divorce, go get a restraining order. I will pay for everything. And my brother would get up and come and drive by my house to make sure I was okay. And I, I mean, I felt, fearful of him but I didn't think he would ever hurt me but I'm second guessing that now and I'm just glad that I'm still here with my kids. I don't think I really understood what she was even telling me. I was half asleep still. I got up and I got my stuff together and made my way to my uncle's house where my mom was. I get there to a woman so broken, crying and blaming herself for the piece of shit actions of my dad. My boyfriend, him and I had only broken up a few weeks prior to this, and I actually had to pass by where he lived. And so she said, see if he can just drive with you. I don't want you driving by yourself. But I was in such a state of shock. I don't think anything really hit me yet. And so I called the ex-boyfriend up. I said, hey, my dad just died. Can you drive with me? I pick him up, and him knowing me in general, I'm an emotional, sensitive person. And he answers the door and I think he just expected me to be this basket case, but it was just this blankness about me. And I was pretty silent and then it hit me. I said, you know what? I said, he called me last night. I said, he called me and I ignored the call. And 
I looked at my phone and I said, I have a voicemail from him. And I started to listen to the voicemail and I couldn't do it. I just deleted it. But I realized at that time that was his goodbye to me. I started listening and he said, I didn't expect you to pick up. I talked to you on Monday, but this is going to be my goodbye. This woman I've always seen so strong was beside herself, just crying, saying it's my fault. I broke his heart. I pushed him here. I made him kill himself. I did it. And I was just holding her, telling her, like, it wasn't your fault. It was not your fault. And now I had to get the details. It was insane. It was like a scavenger hunt to find him. The police instructed my mom and sister to come to the police station where they would be safe. And while my mom was there, she stayed on the phone with my dad, relaying messages about where he was. They found him. He was at the winery where they got married. The two officers walked up to my dad and he said to my mom on the phone, they're here, it's done. And about two minutes later, someone came out to tell my mom my dad had taken his life. He stuck a 44 in his mouth and shot himself. This was a murder-suicide because if he couldn't have her, nobody could. This was till death do us part. He was going to take himself that night and he was taking my mom with him. My little sister at 17 years old saved my mom's life. We are, I'm forever grateful because I wouldn't have a mom or a dad right now. Suicide is so taboo and there's so many different sides, people's opinions on it. And I sound like the coldest, most heartless bitch when I say this, but I feel like it was God's way of protecting us. I would never wish him to be dead. I don't ever wish somebody went through what we went through because the months and the years after this were absolute hell. It was horrible because if he was alive, he would have made our life miserable. It would have been a scary living hell. It would have been constant paranoia, looking over your shoulder, where's he at? What's he gonna do now? But we were safe now. We didn't have to worry about him trying to take our mom or him showing up in the middle of the night or him trying to break in or listening from the other side of the fence while we're sitting outside having a barbecue. We didn't have to worry about any of that anymore. And as sad as it was in watching the turmoil, there was a freeness, but it even took me a few days to process everything and cry that it's like, wow, he's really gone. Men like this, when they don't have control over the situation, they are desperate and they will do anything. And he went out the exact same way that he lived his life, selfishly and with the attention around him. Yeah, and just, you have a right to your feelings and until anybody walks in you and your family's shoes, they have absolutely no right to judge. It's awful what happened to him, but I get what you're saying 100%. But I do wanna, backtrack a teeny bit because something that you said was he was facing 10 years do you think that that had anything to do with the combination of events that like his pride his ego I'm not going to jail because I know our husband said I'd rather die than go to jail and he'd say that all the time so I'm wondering like for your dad Mm -hmm. that played a huge part of that decision I believe it was only a week or two before he killed himself that he'd been found guilty. He was awaiting sentencing. I think he was scared to go to prison. 
Because it's not like he was just gonna go to county jail. He was going to go to prison. What are the stories you always hear? Anything that has to do with sex offenders, what do they do to them in prison? And then registering as a sex offender for the rest of your life. We also kind of feel like it was a weird way of him even protecting us. They fuck up, but they can't deal with the consequences. There's no ownership. Do you have regrets on not listening to the goodbye message? I don't have regrets because I feel like he was going to make me feel guilty. I miss him at times, but as quickly as I miss him, I kind of snap out of it because I wouldn't be close. My kids wouldn't have a relationship with him. I would be distant from him. More than anything, I feel robbed so many times. Um, when I see girls that have these close bonds with their dads and these, there's so many amazing dads. I'm like, how come I don't have that? How come I've never had that? You know, I'm thankful I have great uncles. I have great grandfathers, but it's not the same. Someone can try to be there in the same way, but it's not the same. You want that hug. You want to be able to call your dad and have these conversations. And, you know, I remember the year after he died is when I was working for the Oakland A's. There's so many times I want to pick up my phone and send him a picture or like from the press box down at the field or when I got to interview King Griffey Jr. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at I've made it. Like this was a this would have it would have been a dream come true for him. You know, my son is the only grandson. Like, did he I he had all these girls around him. I have the only boy and he would have love my son so much but on the other hand I'm like you're such a piece of shit like you put us through hell out of the four girls I was the only one that didn't end up with a drug or alcohol problem my three sisters ended up with horrible drug problems one of them by the grace of God has been clean and sober for years and she's amazing the other two are still so bad and I know it's because of him. It's been a rebuilding process that it's been so difficult. We've been through so much, but I realize I can't fix anybody either. They've got to want to fix themselves. So I've been to codependency classes to just let go of the things that I can't help with. And those that want to make the changes will. And I'm thankful for Sadie because she always just She's not ever given me a bad time. I mean, she goes through her stuff, so I walk through stuff emotionally with her. But she, um, she, you know, left and went to Texas because she had to get away. She couldn't watch it anymore. You know, my daughters became addicts to try to cope. And it, it has just been a painful process. Because you try to medicate, and then you become an addict out of it. People say, can't they just quit? Oh. Not so easy unless they want to, but it takes perseverance and, and try. And, and that's something I always have hope in. There's times that I felt like a failure as a mom. You have to forgive yourself. I told Sadie the same thing. I've had to apologize to my oldest daughter for what she witnessed with Ben, Brandon. And, and it took a lot, but she's forgiven me and then I had to forgive myself because there's there's no point to to let that just eat away at you just move no, forward you you have to and we're all human we make mistakes that's how we learn 
long as we don't keep repeating them. And um, they, my, I, I have to say that my girls, I know above anything else, I know they know the deep love that I have for them. And even the ones that are having a harder time now, um, I see an end to it. You know, I'm helping foster the one that always wanted a baby and now she's got this beautiful baby and I just pray that's enough for her to say enough is enough. And I told her, you have so much trauma. I mean, being there the night that, the day that her dad was arrested, you know, she was always vivacious, happy, funny. You know, she was a cheerleader all through high school. And that happened the last day of her junior year and her senior year just was not the same. She got kicked off the cheerleading squad and that was the only thing keeping her together, you know, uh, something and all her friends and, and, you know, it just spiraled down from there, the trauma of that. And then the trauma of her dad's suicide, it just, I, I told her, I said, you just have got to get help for all the things that, that you have been through and it's okay. I'm sorry you went through that, but you know what? You let it make you better, not just take you down. I wish he could have seen the big picture and seen the damage he would have done down the road and think about down the road what it would have done to us and if it would have made him change his mind because he left my mom a hell of a life to live with. And I have to say, she's probably the strongest woman. I mean, she carried my three sisters and I and my niece through these times that were just hell. But I was also determined at that time to not let it define me. That it's like, this is gonna make me better. This will not define my life. This is not going, this is gonna push me. This is gonna make me better and I hope he's proud of that, but I also feel safe. I feel safe and I feel a safety. Even when I was living home, even though I'm far from my family, there's a safety net that was around us once he was gone. And it's hard because it's so many different emotions, so many emotions. But all in all, I'm glad I didn't listen to the voicemail because I thought about even going back and I had to like permanently delete it because I couldn't let that narcissist side really manipulate me into feeling like I was wrong. And you know, I found out, I think out of the four of us, he only talked to one of us the night before. Nobody wanted to talk to him because he was out of his mind. So that should tell him something right there too. I just, I truly believe that wherever he is, that maybe he's just in a better place with a clear mind looking down saying, I was jaded, I was effed up nothing had to do with any of you i don't know i would i would like to believe that is true and i'm thankful now that my mom is in a place she doesn't blame herself i'm Good. thankful that we went to the grief counseling and we did the things we needed to do to feel the way we do because the last thing i'd ever want is my mom to feel guilty or hold herself responsible for a decision he made you know i went around and spoke to thousands of kids after this happened there was a suicide epidemic back home with high school kids and I was speaking about this within like four weeks and it was therapeutic to me because suicide is so nasty and it's 
traumatizing and it does a lot to you that I don't think people realize. You know, with some deaths, yes, you can say goodbye. With a lot of deaths, you can't. But I want these kids to realize depression is normal. It's how you deal with it, it's how you cope with it. And for anybody, but suicide is so permanent and you leave these families in these terrible spots. I just want to like reach through the screen and hug you because like you had me in tears. Um, I just feel so bad for your family. Well, and it's, you know, and I think the older I get and the longer it is, five years from now, I've lived the same amount of life I've lived without him. And, you know, my kids don't know him. My kids have a very, even though we're 2,000 miles away from my mom, they have such a great relationship with my mom. And she's awesome to visit us as much as she does. And we talk to her multiple times a day, FaceTime, phone, text, whatever it is. They don't know my dad. They don't even really ask about him. But when they do, it's sad to me. But here we go again, the flip side. It doesn't even mean that they would have a relationship with him if he was alive. And I have to remind myself of that when I get caught up like Father's Day. It makes me sad. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know what? I have my kids here and I'm grateful at least my kids have a father. And yeah. you know, I pray that no kid has to deal with this. When I heard my son ask one day, mom, it was just a commercial, mom, what's suicide? And I say, and I explained to him the best I could, but I said, ultimately, you murder yourself. And he says, shouldn't that be against the law? And he doesn't know how my dad died. When he's asked, I just said, you know, his brain was sick. I think that's the easiest way to explain yeah. it to a child. It's heavy and it's complicated and it's ugly. Next week on The X-Files. It was everything. He was, like you said, it was the sun, moon, and stars, but he got so mad. And it was like, that was the first time I truly saw his temper. I had only spent a total of 14 days with him before moving 2,000 miles away with him. I have to come home. But there was part of me that was like, I can't come home. All these friends made bets at my going away party. All of my years, I've never heard my mom so disappointed in me when I told her something. I made the same mistake and I had the wool pulled over my eyes. What happened? Did he hit you? I'm like, no, he didn't hit me. He's such a piece of shit in hearing me tell you guys everything. How did I not run from him? Hey, X-Fans, if you haven't quite got your full fix of X-Wives Thundercover or the X-Files, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join our Facebook group. Make sure to also follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave us a five-star review.